Good morning. It is Father's Day today, and uh, somehow we would be remiss if we didn't, uh, didn't acknowledge that fact, because each one of us here has a father. We, we, uh, I think that's uh, a universal truth that uh, I, would be, uh, I, I wouldn't be incorrect in stating, that we all have a father, and so we, we recognize today as, as Father's Day. Some of us, uh, some of our fathers may still be with us, and uh, uh, my father is here uh, with us, actually here in the congregation today, for which I'm very thankful. Um, some of our fathers may have passed away, or perhaps we, uh, we are in a situation where we actually never knew our father. But all of us did have a father, and so uh, we need to, to recognize and acknowledge that. <clears throat> and some of us, Myself included, and I, I have a father, of course, but I am also a father, so I'm uh, doubly blessed on this day of Father's Day. So we need to uh, remember today is Father's Day, and uh, be sure to to remember your father today in some way. And one person, you know, one there, there, as I was thinking about Father's Day today, and uh, as I was looking, there's I came across a quote, and it's it's from one person who we don't often quote much. Uh, in our uh, Christian circles. And he had this to say about fathers. He said, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for the fathers for a father's protection. Now we may think that that uh, probably comes from someone like James Dobson. Maybe that, that would be who might come to mind. But actually that was a quote from Sigmund Freud. And so even he recognized the importance of a father. And so now on Father's Day, uh, let's just uh, take a moment and pray for our fathers and just pray thanking God. Father, Father God, we come to You this morning and we thank You for our fathers. And Lord, we thank You that You are God our Father. And Lord, we pray Your blessing on all the fathers, on our fathers here today, on those of us that are fathers, Lord. You've given us a heavy responsibility and we pray for Your strength and Your wisdom in being a good Father. And so, Lord, today as we think of Father's Day and as we think of You, God our Father, we ask that You would open our hearts and our minds to hear from Your Word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one way or another, Father's Day touches us and means something, I think, to each one of us. And so, you know, we often refer to, and even in our, in our prayers, we, re- we refer to uh, God our Father. And I want us to think today on Father's Day, I want us to take a few minutes today and think about God our Father. And just to uh, reflect a little bit about what that means and the importance of it to us as we say God our Father. What, does, uh, what, 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 are, we, what are we talking about? What, what's important in that, that we would say, God our Father? And I can tell you, it carries a lot of meaning. And we could spend uh, a whole series of sermons looking at the idea of God the Father. And what does it mean when we say, God our Father? Um, this is a, a solid, biblical use of language to say, God our Father. But sometimes, that actually can be a hindrance to us. Sometimes the the image that comes to mind when we say our Father maybe isn't a, 
a particularly helpful one. And so we need to wrestle with that. The idea of God our Father, what kind of image does that bring to our minds? And even as I say that, you know, maybe you're thinking of, of your own father. And what did, what did that mean to you? A good friend of mine, when it, just thinking about this, a good friend of mine, uh, his father was uh, a war hero, a true war hero in World War II. He was one of the ones, and, and my friend, he was, he was an American, and he was one of the ones, his father was one of the ones who was there storming the beaches of Normandy in World War II. And his father was decorated as a war hero. And all of his friends and all of his father's acquaintances knew him and recognized him. The government of the United States recognized him as a true hero in World War II. My friend saw his father in all of his weaknesses and failings. And he struggled. Because everyone was saying, what a great man your father was. What a thing he did. Thank you for the freedom that we have and for the, the risking your life for your country. And my, father, and my friend knew his father at home in those moments. And he saw his father's weaknesses. And he struggled with that idea of my father. On the one hand, my father is raised up as a real hero, but I see him and I see weaknesses and I see failings. And his father did have some pretty significant weaknesses and failings. And he wrestled with this for a long time. And then he came to accept and was able actually to forgive his father. And to accept his father for who he was, a fallen, broken human being who had his failings and shortcomings. And he was able to love his father in spite of those things and forgive his father for those things. And in the end, he was able to see his father as a real hero for what he did in World War II, but also for living his life and battling through those failings and through those, through those shortcomings. And so sometimes those are the kind of images we have. When we think of God our Father, we think of these sorts of things. Sometimes we might think of, our, of a father as a, a stern, uh, an unloving, an uncaring sort of person. Or maybe we think of our father as someone who is just distant and uninvolved and just sort of so a person that's there in the house but not really involved in my life. And so we have all these kind of images that come to mind as we think of God our Father. And many times, unfortunately, we're not able to forgive our fathers and move on from the shortcomings our fathers had. And that's something we need to give to God. And to pray to God and ask God to help us to move on from that. Now, I should say too that some of us have wonderful, loving, caring, concerned, involved fathers who uh, contributed a lot into our lives and who we cherish deeply. And we need to thank God for those uh, kind of fathers as well. But when we come then, when we come now to talk to uh, about God, our Father, you know we. We, we bring those sorts of images of our Father to that discussion, to that thought process of God our Father. We bring and we project those images that we have from our human Father and we project them onto God our Father. And we say, well, my human Father was like this, so God the Father must be like that as well. And we end up distorting 
and damaging the image of God and damaging the character of God because we have said that God must be like my father, my human father. And we need to be careful that we don't do that. We need to be careful we don't impose those images of our Father onto God our Father. We need to let the Bible speak to us about who God the Father is, about His character, about His personality, about His concern and His love for us. We need to let Scripture shape our image of God. And so I want us to look this morning, just take a few minutes here this morning. We've had a busy morning here and we've still got some more things to come uh, as part of our service this morning. So I just want us to take a few minutes here just to think about that. To think about that uh, image of God the Father and let the Scriptures speak to us uh, about this. And so I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 to 6 to start with. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. And of course, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing to the believers there at the church and he's giving all sorts of instructions. But here, it's just at the very beginning of this letter. And he writes a long uh, introductory uh, sentence. And if uh, if you look in the... In the Greek, just a little bit of trivia here. If you look in the Greek, actually, uh, what we have divided up into sentences in our modern translations, um, in, in, the, in the original Greek, you'll find that from verse 2 to verse 14, actually, is one long sentence. And Paul does this sometimes. He rambles on. And so here we have one long sentence. But we just, I just want us to look at the first few verses there. Let me just read them for you. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. So here is Paul writing about, uh, writing to the church at, uh, at Ephesus and he begins with these words. So let's look at them a little bit. First of all, in verse 2 there, uh, Paul calls God our Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So he's not saying uh, God my Father or God your Father, but he's being inclusive there. He's saying, he's saying this is God our Father. And, and sometimes we maybe just gloss over these beginning portions of, of, uh, of, these, uh, of, the, of these letters that Paul writes. But here I think he's saying something fairly important. Paul is not just saying that, that this is God his Father or some distant remote father. And Paul is not just saying, well, God is the father of those super spiritual, really mature people. But he's writing to all the saints in Ephesus. He says to all the saints in Ephesus, to the church. He's writing to the church and he's saying, this is, this is, God is your father. God is your father. God is my father. God is our father. And that church included everyone. And we can look ahead in 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So uh, Paul is including everybody in this. All those who have come to faith and who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying, God is now your Father. God is your Father. So what are some implications of that? What does it mean when we say God is our Father? And the first thing that we can see, I think, there, is that there is, a, there is an interesting thing there. He, we can see that Jesus is our brother because God is our Father. And look on in verse 3. Look at verse 3 and see what he says. So he, he said in verse 2 first, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then he says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it seems uh, a very reasonable thing to say, but, but think about it. He is saying that God is our Father. And then he says that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? When we both have the same Father. It's not really a trick question, is it? When, we, when, when one person is the Father of two people, it means we are brothers and sisters. We are siblings. We're, we're children of one Father. And so we have that connection. And so Paul draws that connection between that. We can see that this is Paul saying we are connected to Jesus Christ through God our Father. We have the same Father. So Jesus is our brother. You know, and this is one of the uh, interesting things about being here at BCBC is learning all the family connections. And I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I know in a church this size there's going to be all sorts of uh, family connections and family dynamics. And this one's married to this one and this one's my father and this one's my uncle. And it's one of the interesting things about being here is trying to uh, to sort out those family connections and see who is related to who. So I'm not surprised by that, uh, but it certainly is a challenge to try and figure out who in the church is related to, to who else. And always surprising when you come across and you, you find someone who's related and you go, oh, I didn't know you were related. So uh, that's one of the, the learning curves that I'm going through at the moment is trying to figure out who everybody is and how you're all related to one another somehow. Eventually, uh, maybe after I'm here 20 or 30 years, I might begin to get them straight. So those of you who have been in this church that long, you can help me understand that. But here we are talking about God our Father, and he, Paul connects us to Jesus Christ. Here is the family connection. We all uh, together have uh, God our Father as our Father, and then Paul says God is also the Father of Jesus Christ. So there we have it. Uh, we, are, we are together with Jesus Christ. Look down in verse 5. And Paul says in verse 5, it says, He predestined us, God predestined us, to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. Now these words carry some heavy theological uh, baggage with them, if you will. Th these words do some heavy theological lifting if we wanted to go there and explore the idea of predestination and, uh, and, and doing these things in accordance with God's will. Uh, 
I need to acknowledge that. That term is there. That's not really what I want to talk about this morning. So uh, let me just leave that for another time. But uh, I do want to acknowledge that's, uh, uh, that term is there. And it is a heavy theological term that we do wrestle with eventually. But the important part for us today there is just to see he's saying we have been adopted. We've been adopted as his sons, as his children. That's the idea that I want us to see there. We have been brought into God's family. We are thinking about the family relationships that we have and God our Father and Jesus is our brother, but we have been adopted into God's family. God has, has brought us in. He has joined us, made us part of His family, one of His children. And so together with Jesus, we are all God's children. Now, Jesus certainly is, a, is special for sure. Jesus, it says in Colossians chapter 1.15, that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. There is some special place for Jesus. In the Jewish tradition, the firstborn would receive a double portion of the inheritance because there was something special about the firstborn. Um, and in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, Paul tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus. So we, as Jesus shares in the inheritance received from the Father, we will too. Uh, but, but Jesus is, and, and we need to recognize that Jesus is special because He is the firstborn over all creation. But the Bible clearly recognizes us as being brothers and sisters with Jesus. A spiritual brother and sister, if you will, of course. Uh, but, but nonetheless, that connection is there. And as each one of us will be a share in the, it will receive a share in the inheritance from God our Father, so will Jesus. Jesus is our brother. And Jesus knows that. And uh, Jesus knows that our understanding of God the Father is somehow imperfect. Uh, we don't understand everything there is to know about God. And some of the things we think we understand about God probably are not right. We probably have some mistaken ideas about who God is and how He works. And at times we, uh, we struggle with the mystery of God. And we struggle with some things like uh, reconciling God's love for all of His creation, but also how does God then bring justice? And that's one of the things perhaps that we'll uh, look at and can explore next week. Uh, with Dr. Anderson, but uh, somehow we, we, we maybe don't understand these things. And so we, we, we struggle and we say, I don't understand who this God is. God our Father. I don't know God the Father. I don't know Him the way I should. And you know what? Jesus is there. Jesus is our brother. And He knows us. And He knows that we can, uh, He can help us. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, it talks about how Jesus is a great high priest and He understands our weaknesses. And maybe part of what He understands when He says He understands our weaknesses is that He understands our lack of understanding of who God is. He knows that we don't know everything about God and He can help us to understand. You know, I was talking one time with a friend of mine and uh, we were just sharing about our families and we were sharing about brothers and sisters and how, uh, 
uh, you know, just the, the dynamic that we have between our, our family, uh, between our, our brothers and sisters. Now, she, she wasn't related to me, so she was talking about her family relationships. I was sharing a little bit about my brothers and sister. And, um, you know, we, we got talking about how, you know, some children are, end up, uh, they're, they're an only child. And, you know, that some, in some ways that's good. You don't have all the, the siblings to worry about. And uh, me being the youngest, I was uh, the last one to leave home. So I was kind of an only child for the last three, my last three years at home. That was kind of nice. Didn't have to fight over who got the car on Saturday night and those sorts of things. You know, it was just uh, I, I, I had that sort of, uh, that, that sort of freedom. Um, but there's some, some problems and some, some challenges that only children face as well. And this friend and I, we were talking about this, and, and we said, you know, one of the, the nice things about having a siblings is that you can talk, you have someone you can talk to about mom and dad, and who understands mom and dad the way you do. Because your friends don't understand your parents the way you do. Their friends, your parents' friends, don't understand the way you do. There's nobody who understands your parents the way you do, except your siblings. And I think that parallel some, somewhat holds true with Jesus as well. He understands the Father. He fully understands the Father. And He is there as our brother to help us understand our Father. And He can help us if we're willing to listen to Him. So that's part of, I think, what it means to have God our Father then is we have Jesus as our brother. And we have that sort of relationship with Him. And He can help us to understand the Father. And then he, Paul goes on in, and he says, uh, the, he says there, he says that in verse, in verse 3, he says, uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. One of the important things about God our Father, one of the important things to know and remember is that God our Father is there to bless us. We, have, we are blessed having this Father, our Father God. And it says, Paul says, He has blessed us. And he says, He has blessed us, not just a little bit, but we, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What a wonderful thought that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And what does that mean? That's the next question to always ask. Well, what does that mean? What are these spiritual blessings? And I think that's what Paul is doing. As he moves on, he goes on and he expands and he says, okay, these are the spiritual blessings that you have. And that's what makes up the rest of this section down to verse 14. But... Uh, uh, we won't look at all of those, but I want us to, to look at a few here. What are these spiritual blessings? But notice one thing about that, first of all, is that God does not say, he's, or Paul is not saying here that we receive every material blessing. He's talking about spiritual blessings. One of the things that's, uh, that, that's happening in the Christian world these days is this, what we call the prosperity gospel, and somehow that, that God wants every person to be blessed and to be wealthy and healthy. 
And the, and the problem is not God. If you're, if you're not experiencing that, the problem is not God, but the problem is you. Because you don't have enough faith. You haven't given enough tithes and offerings. You haven't done enough. You haven't served enough. And so the problem is you. And if you did what you were supposed to do, God would indeed bless you. But, but Paul is not saying that. He's not saying, you know, if you do these things, you'll, you'll, you'll have a big, uh, a big house and a beautiful car and everything that you want and, and more uh, material things than you could ever imagine you could do with. But he's not saying that. He's saying spiritual blessings. He's saying spiritual blessings. In fact, when you read the Bible, it's pretty hard to see where God promises material blessings. More often, He promises tough times, hardships and sufferings. And so, we need to be careful of thinking that God, our Father, is going to provide us with all these material things to bless us. Instead, we need to look for the spiritual blessings. Those things, those lo- things like love and peace and joy and even, um, even that, uh, that peace that comes as life storms around us. Uh, that's what, uh, what God has promised us. And ultimately, the, the greatest spiritual blessing we have is through Jesus Christ and through our faith in Him that guarantees us eternal life. And that's a huge spiritual blessing. But Paul goes on, and I want us to look here um, at some of the spiritual blessings that he, that he gives us. And some of the spiritual blessings that he is talking about. The first one is, he says, that we in verse 4, that we are chosen. He says, Simply, for He chose us in Him. He chose us. And so, God has chosen us. And so that's one of the spiritual blessings that we can enjoy when we look and we take time and we reflect on God the Father. We can say, thank you God for choosing me. For choosing me as one of your children. And we saw in verse 5 where He says, God adopted us. God chose us. God was under no compulsion to choose us to be one of His children. No one was there forcing God and saying, God, you must do this and you must choose that one. No, it wasn't like that at all. God God chose us. And He chose us. Our being here, our being part of the body of Christ is not just a random event that just sort of happened. But God chose us. And He worked things out to direct us, to lead us, and to make sure that we became one of, his, uh, one of His children. So God chooses us. And we need to thank God for Him and accept that as a blessing from Him. Now, you might ask, why did He choose me? You know, if you, if you take that the next step and say, well, why did God choose me? Well, it's a great question. And we come across into that area where we start to ask those great questions and really, we have no good answer. Why did God choose me? Well, yes, He he had work for me to do. He knew I was going to serve a purpose in His kingdom. But really, when it comes down to it, God, uh, uh, God chose me. He could have chosen someone else. I don't understand why He chose me. Well, it's one of those things we have to accept. That God did this. And we accept that as a blessing. You know, even when we look in the Bible and we look and try and find why did God choose the nation of Israel? Out of all those nations, why did He choose? When you read those early accounts in Genesis of God choosing 
and God assigning them some work to do, and God taking them as His people, you try, you look and you say, why did He choose that particular people? Very hard to find an answer to that. Maybe one of those things that we are left wondering until, uh, until we can be with God and ask Him ourselves. It may be one of those things that's a great mystery to us. But we accept that God has chosen us. And that's a blessing. It's a rich, tremendous blessing. The next thing he says in verse 4 is that he chose us, he chose us to be holy and blameless in sight. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we have been made holy and blameless. And we need to thank God for that. That's a huge blessing. Because if we don't have that, we carry around a huge burden of sin and guilt in our lives. That can weigh us down and hold us back. And we need to know that we are made holy and blameless in His sight. We need to have that freedom that we can feel through that forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that, it can really hurt us and hold us back. If we don't know that we are holy and blameless, if we don't have that spiritual blessing, it can really be a hindrance in our walk with God. And I think we all know that. You know, no matter what we say about God, we all know that somehow, deep down, we know that, we, that some parts of our life are not the way they should be. And sometimes it takes someone to come along and point it out to us that, uh, uh, that we, uh, we're doing something wrong. You know, it's a little, maybe, uh, uh, maybe that's a little bit like when, uh, when, when we get stopped by a, by a police officer. You know, you, uh, uh, he comes along and, and, and writes you a ticket and, and you, you go, well, yeah, you know I, I know, I, I know I was doing something wrong. I know I was going too fast. And you just need someone to come along and point out to you what you were doing and uh, that, that you weren't doing something right. Maybe you weren't just paying enough attention. But, uh, but when you get caught, you, you know that you, you'd, you'd done something wrong. And I think we all know that. In our hearts, we know that there's something, uh, something uh, gone wrong in our lives. And so we accept that. And we appreciate God. We love God for that fact that He has made us holy and blameless in His sight. And then he says in love, in the end of verse 4, he says, in love He predestined us. And so this is God loves us. And this maybe becomes a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit familiar to us. It's one of, those, one of those Sunday school answers. You know, when you ask the little kids a question in Sunday school, what are, the, what are the answers? God loves us, Jesus, you know, those sorts of very basic responses. And sometimes the idea that God loves us is one of those ones that becomes a little too familiar to us. Yeah, yeah, we know John 16, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that no matter who believes in Him and has faith, they, they, they will not perish and have eternal life. And you know, that, that just rolls off our tongues and we don't even think about it anymore. But here, we need to stop and think. God loves us. That's a spiritual blessing. That God loves us. The One who created the heavens and earth loves us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He loves us that much. That He knows that much about us. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing to think that God loves us. 
But the One who created the heavens and earth knows each one of us and loves us. And think of that kind of love that God has for us. You know, if, uh, if Lydia asked me to count the hairs on her head and said, and said to me, you know, if you really loved me, you would sit and you would count the hairs on my head. I'd be like, well, you know, how about I cook dinner tonight? You know, that, that, can I show you my love for you that way? Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I clean the bathrooms? How about that? I don't want to sit there and count the hairs on your head, my goodness. And yet, this is, what, this is the kind of love God has for us. This is the kind of thing that God, uh, the concern that God has for us. And so, yes, God sending His Son uh, to die for us is the ultimate demonstration of His love for us. And so God loves us. It's a spiritual blessing. And so these are all good things. These are all great blessings that we have that God has chosen us. That He's made us holy and blameless. He loves us. That Jesus is our, uh, uh, is our brother. But let me leave you with one more. And it's not from Ephesians, but it's from the book of Hebrews. And this one maybe is, is not quite as pleasant to talk about. God disciplines us. God the Father disciplines us. The others that I've talked about leave you with the warm fuzzies, don't they? They make you feel good inside. And you sort of go, yeah, God loves me. The reality is sometimes God blesses us in ways that maybe we don't really appreciate. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 11, the writer here talks about this. And he says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined for us a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Being children of God means that sometimes God will discipline us. If we've never felt, and, and he's saying here, if we've never felt the hand of of God's discipline on our lives, if we're not disciplined, then somehow we need to start to think maybe I'm not really one of His children. This kind of sobering point here. But this is an important part of who God is. is God is one who will discipline us. Who will get us back on the right track. And that's an important part of the discipline of God. As God disciplines us, He's not doing it out of anger or frustration with us, but He's doing it to get us back on the right track. We've wandered away from the way we should go. And He says, I need to get you back on the right track. And in, in verse 11, that's what He's saying. It produces a harvestness of righteousness and peace. That's the, the, the fruit of the discipline from the hand of God. And so that's not, uh, uh, that's, that's not a... Uh, it's not a harsh punishment, but it's one that's meant for our good. That's one of the problems that we human fathers have is we end up disciplining out of, uh, uh, out of anger or frustration. 
And that's one of the things that, that I learned along the way is, you know, is not just to respond when your child does something wrong. You don't just respond to them instantly because that's maybe not the most helpful response. But you kind of take a deep breath and count to ten and think, okay, what's happening here and what's going to be the best way to correct the situation? And, and that's, that's kind of where, uh, where God is. God knows what's going to be best. He's not... Uh, he's disciplining for our good. He disciplines, it says in verse 10, He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. God wants us to be like Him. And in order to be like Him, we need to be holy like Him. And so God disciplines us. What does God's discipline look like in our lives? It's hard to know. We need great discernment to see that. And you know, you can look at the book of Job and Job had all sorts of catastrophes happen to him and his friends came along and said, Job, you must be doing something wrong. God's punishing you. And we know when we read the whole story that in fact, Job's friends were wrong. There was something else going on entirely. So we, don't, we, we struggle to, to say, well, this is happening in my life. It must be disciplined for this reason. We can do that mental exercise. We need great discernment. But we need to be aware that God's loving hand sometimes means that we get discipline. So there's some things to think about as we think about Father's Day and as we think about today, Father's Day, God our Father. We enjoy the blessings of being God's children so we can say with Paul, God is our Father. So on this Father's Day, we need to remember our human fathers and thank them for all they did for us. And we also need to think of our Heavenly Father. Think of the way that Jesus is our brother and together we have God as our Father. Think about the spiritual blessings that come and maybe even the times when He's disciplined us to get us back on the right track. We rejoice in these blessings that come as we celebrate God our Father. How do we respond to God our Father? Well, yes, we can... We, we can enjoy and we can appreciate uh, all the blessings that come. And we can thank God for them. But there's something more, I think, that we can do as we respond to God our Father. What does any human father want from our children? Those of you who are fathers and even uh, the mothers, will, I'm sure, will share this. What do, you, what do you want from your children? You want them to listen to you. You want your children to obey you when you ask them to do something. You want them to say, yes, I'll do that. You want them to respect you. You want your children to not tarnish the family name. And I think we can think the same thing about God, our Father. He doesn't want anything different than our human fathers. He wants us to obey Him. He wants us to listen to what He has to, to say to us. And then He wants us to put it into practice in our lives. He wants us to respect Him. He wants us to bring glory to His family, to His church, to the body of Christ. He wants us to honor one another and honor Him as part of being in His family. And so as we think of God our Father today on Father's Day, we can think of all the spiritual blessings. And then we can think of the things that we need to do to uh, respect, to respond to, our, uh, to God our Father as well. As the worship team comes to uh, close off, let's just pray. Father, we thank You for being our Father who gives us every spiritual blessing. 
And Lord, we thank You for that honor and privilege of being one of Your children. And Lord, we ask that You would help us through Your Spirit to be faithful children. To be children that do what You want us to do. And Lord, help us today. Remind us of those things we need to do to be Your children. To be faithful children. True and honoring to God our Father. To You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.